Hello, Demigod Pod fans. I still don't know what the intro is for this show, but we are here to talk about the Percy Jackson and the Olympians television show now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Wow, it almost sounds like we're sponsored or something. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> I wish. Um, we're just nerds. We're amateur nerds. My name is Tyler. I'm Condra. And we're going to talk about episode four of Percy Jackson, colon, the lightning thief, colon, and the Olympians. Oh. I never know no, what it's to just, call it. This is Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the series. Okay. Is there any lightning thief no. title? Negative. Aspect of the show? Okay. The, ep- the name of the episode is I Plunge to My Death, which is maybe a little bit of a fabrication. I don't know. He could but have died. we'll get there. We'll get there. What a plot twist. Episode four of the first season, Percy's dead. <laughs> which would be great if I wasn't <laughs> dead. Shout out to the new Scott Pilgrim show, which does go into this a little bit. Which, But I haven't finished that show yet, so... I don't, I, know I don't know what you're talking about, really. So, Percy Jackson. <laughs> so Perse- Perseus Jacksonus. No, he's not. He's not a Roman. He, he doesn't. This isn't Latin. This is Greek. It'd be Perseus Jacksonos. Os is a more traditional masculine ending in Greek, but doesn't matter. So, the episode begins and ends with Percy in the water. Indeed, but in two very <laughs> different types of water. We yes. start out in a swimming pool. Percy is like yes. seven getting swim lessons. This little boy Specific- is so big. <laughs> Specifically, we start out underwater in the swimming pool, which is going to tie back to when we end the episode underwater. So I I liked that sort of, you know, like, hey, let's just be clever about what we do here. For the people that are really paying attention and watching this more than once for every little teeny tiny detail. It's like they knew people were going to make podcasts about it. In this last week, I've <laughs> discovered. <laughs> so um, Percy is is young Percy. He's got brown seven eyes. Seven years old, you said? He looks like seven. He looks six. He looks too old to be in like this level of like. You're never too old to learn how to swim, Condra. That's I know. I don't know how to swim, Tyler. <laughs> but... <laughs> He's there with his mom. He's there with his mom. And she makes like a point of like, you're getting like, this is becoming more and more urgent. So I would assume he is older than like five. Well, she says to him, we paid for this lesson. You're going to learn how to swim today. I love that for her. Because to be fair, like that's a big deal for her to be paying for swim lessons. Like at this point in her uh, raising of Percy, she, she's probably still a single mother. Yeah, Smelly Gabe is a late addition to the the Jackson household. <laughs> i i like the, I like getting more of the Sally and and seeing the the way she communicates with Percy mm-hmm. and seeing the way that per- Percy communicates with her. She she goes through like all the steps, like come on, let's try it. And then when that doesn't work, she goes, "Well, we paid for this. It would be nice if we did it." And then she goes into with a very serious tone of like, listen, I'm not always going to be here to help you and protect you. There might be a situation where you need to know how to do this. And it is important that I teach you. So let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And I also really appreciated how they work off of each other. Like 
mom starts getting agitated and Percy is like, mom, I'm going to say to you what you always say to me. Breathe. And like. Breathe in the air. No. <laughs> breathe in the water, Tyler. Either. <laughs> <laughs> breathe. Breathe in the water. <laughs> what I think the one. And this is such a qualm. But I'm going to go there. Qualms. This is the new segment. Condra's qualms. This is not. This scene doesn't happen <laughs> in the book. This is nothing to do with the book and like the accuracy, quote unquote. It it has to do with the fact that child Percy here has the darkest brown eyes you ever did see. And the point of Percy Jackson is he's got sea green eyes like the ocean. So and you it didn't was, see green? It was very you distracting to me <laughs> that his <laughs> eyes were so brown. I am a person, categorically, who, who does, does not, not notice, notice eye color. <laughs> the only eye color I've noticed in this show is that Annabeth does not have gray eyes. Because I don't think anybody has gray eyes. I, some people have a sort of a light blue tone. But, um, Yeah. But that's because I specifically remember, like, gray-eyed Athena. Like, that's the thing about her. Mm -hmm. But whatever. We'll talk about Annabeth later. So, we never really resolve whether or not Percy actually participates in the swim lesson, though. Like, they get distracted. Or Percy doesn't more... He more gets distracted by the rest of the nightmare he is having. Yeah. Well, first, I just wanted to say, we love emotionally intelligent Percy. We do. And, th and this is a, a, a categorization that I want to keep exploring throughout the rest of the episode. <laughs> who has a high EQ and who has a high IQ? But <laughs> I want to get there in a minute. That's why Persebeth yeah. works. Because they balance <laughs> each other. I, and I know this has been talked about a million times on Tumblr or whatever. But just in the show, it's, not, it's fun to talk about. Yeah. I like, I like the, the codependency they show in the Sally Percy relationship. Mm -hmm. And the, the strong bond that is formed between, you know, a single mother and a single child. And you you can tell how both of them come to rely on each other, specifically in this moment where he reminds her to breathe. And that's why his relationship with his mother is so important. And his lack of relationship with his father is such a prominent part of this characterization. So mm -hmm. just... You know, it's it's good. Like, I'm glad the show gave us this flashback. Absolutely. No, I'm not. It's different than the book, but it helps. And it gives us more Sally, which I can always I'm always here for. It works in the TV format, especially in the TV format where you're mm -hmm. like actually watching something week by week. Yeah, I, I thought this was fun. And then it's a interesting transition into the rest of Percy's nightmare, which is more of this hooded figure in the distance with a strange yellow light. Yeah, it's listed in the um, in the closed captions as the voice. So maybe um, Adam Lambert, no, Adam Levine, who's who's a judge on the voice? Gwen Stefani and Blake. Gwen Stefani. Are they still, though? Um, I don't Blake know. Shelton. One of those guys. Ariana Grande was for a while, I think. Wow. We're so up with our pop culture as we <laughs> well, deep dive into Percy Jackson. I don't think the voice is current Jackson. pop culture either. 
Um, but yeah, the voice is just be like, oh, you're a, a, a forbidden child attracts attracts attention. A forbidden hero attracts trouble. She's coming doom. for you. No, attracts doom. Attracts doom. Is that like a Superman villain? <laughs> I was thinking like Hades. That, oh, okay. That video game has doom in it too. Doom? Yeah. I just started playing I've... it last there's definitely I, wait, doom. Wait, I've I've played <laughs> maybe <laughs> 300 or 400 hours of Hades. They, oh, doom is the Ares effect. Yeah. Okay, yes. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I was like, I well, swear. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, we're talking about the video game Hades, which is also by Greek mythology. One of the power-ups you can get is a doom effect, which, which causes your enemies to lose health after a second. Yes, that is a thing. Thank you. And Thank you for Ares the validation. Causing doom, probably hey. relevant, but we'll save it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Percy just wakes up from the nightmare with this sort of foreboding, foreshadowing Dread. of she's coming for you. <laughs> foreboding, foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. Thank you for laughing at my <laughs> clumsy misalignment of the same I word twice cut that out now <laughs> i could have made it clean you to cut it out. i could shadowing could be foreboding <laughs> <laughs> anyway we wake up on a train ideal rover, scenario rover are you awake well hold on there's a whole conversation that happens before they ask him no. if he's awake well oh i guess percy just says are you awake and Annabeth says to, no. To Annabeth, yeah. <laughs> and Annabeth And says then they no. ask if Grover's awake. I love when that I love that sleeping joke where it's like, are you awake? And the person says no. No. <laughs> well, it's uh it's famously a riddle of what's the uh, what's the one question that you can never say no to? And it's are you awake? But whatever. We get a conversation here between. Are you asleep? Yes, the one. (laughs) Look, I'm not a child of Athena. Okay, we know. I'm a child of of whatever god is a podcaster. What? What's the podcasting god? Hermes. Gotta be Hermes, though. Apollo. Apollo. (laughs) Maybe Dionysus, though. Nah, I think it's Apollo. Yeah, I think Apollo's self-centered enough. I actually Apollo's, think Apollo's a little bit of a junk drawer god anyway. Yeah, so it, I mean, it adds so is up. Hermes, but where Apollo has like the vocal performance elements to him, that's where I, I lean more him. If you have like uh like a like a bro MRA podcast, it might be a Dionysus podcast. That is though. true, yeah. <laughs> or an Aries podcast. You never know. An Aries podcast is just military propaganda, I suppose. Yeah. But I suppose those exist, so. I bet Hestia <laughs> is like the cute moms that make like the rest have like the recipes and they're just sharing family gossip. That'd be a cute one. Fair. I, I mean, this is saying what now we're saying what podcast each god would have. Um, Hera would be like uh, Hera is like a is just a mommy blogger or. Or she posts she posts videos of her children doing embarrassing things for clout 
See, I feel like she'd be like the rich lady interviewing her important friends. Fair. That too. I but I, I see the Hera being like, here's 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 a video of my children that I didn't ask them if they if they agreed to. Yeah. And they're gonna be really mad about it in ten or twenty years. We don't have time for a tangent like this, especially because this is a really short episode. This, this episode is thirty three minutes super long. Super short. Oh my god, it like ended and I was like, wait. It's over? Like, it did not end where I was expecting it to, to be honest, so. Yeah, it definitely ends a little bit sooner than you think, but we're not there yet. I do have a, I do have a weird, like, introspective aspect of myself where I, where I think, should a podcast episode ever be longer than the thing it's talking about? And obviously, the movies by minute format is, <laughs> is the opposite of this, and that's the rest of our show, which does not apply because this is, that is an intentional subversion of that. But sometimes you like get a podcast about a movie and you're like, well, if the movie's a hundred minutes, but the podcast episode about it is two hours and 10 minutes, that's a problem. Well, I still think we're going to have more to say than 33 minutes. This is possible. Yes. We, ha- we come with a lot of baggage. We do. And a lot of book. <laughs> so this conversation between Annabeth and Percy, probably my favorite conversation in the episode. Although there's uh, there's lots there's of good conversations. There's some really good conversations in this episode. This episode doesn't feel as much like the um like the effective character setup that the last episode gave us. But it feels like the con like but it feels like because we've gotten the characters like past their like mini conflicts mm-hmm. and on the same page, we're able to have slightly more thematic conversations that apply to the outer world. Yeah. A little bit. And the sort of the out the lore of the of the universe that we're in. I also think we can get a little deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Emotionally, they get deeper in this episode. Yeah. Cat Stevens was wrong when he said the first cut is the deepest. This is the second or third cut. Or the fourth, because it's the fourth episode. The fourth episode, yeah. The fourth cut is the deepest. That's also Shania Twain, right? Who else sang the first cut is the deepest? I thought it was Cheryl Crow. Cheryl Crow, that makes sense. Someone, some country pop singer whose name starts with sh. That's all I got. <laughs> no, there's only the two. I was it's weird that to... it happened twice. <laughs> if, I had, if I got a nickel <laughs> for every time, two um, nickels. No, Annabeth, um, Percy asks a little bit about Thalia. As a forbidden child. Ooh, quick question. In your in your pre-existing Percy Jackson brain, did you pronounce it Thalia or Thalia? Uh, what if I was just a jerk and said Talia? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this that's also possible. Honestly, though, that's more Greek pronunciation. There's ditch the H entirely. Yeah, have the sort of aspirated t sound. Yeah, I think I probably said Thalia because I like the long A. Like I, I yeah. The accent that we've raised with leans towards a longer A, typically. Yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, but in the show, they say Thalia, right? Yeah. As in, the ice is getting warmer, it's thawing. <laughs> and so Annabeth gives a breakdown of how um, she had to sort of earn the respect from Thalia, even though like Luke automatically was on her side, but Thalia was kind of hardened and it took a while for 
her to warm up to Annabeth. And Percy very is very much realizes like, oh, that's what you're doing to me then. Yeah. And it's a philosophy that he doesn't agree with overall. And maybe he understands that in the Annabeth Percy relationship, yes, you do have to like earn the trust and respect of someone whom you're going to call a friend. But he says that this way that everybody talks, you know, the gods, the people at camp, where you have to sort of earn the respect, you have to make a sacrifice or Mm -hmm. do well in a fight. He says, he says literally, quote, people who are close to you aren't supposed to treat you that way. And this is one of those thematic things where it's like, yes, what, what, what is the, you know, the love that we deserve, the respect that we deserve versus the way the world really works. And I think that's a power to Sally in some ways that she was able to shield Percy so much from everything else is like, yeah, you flunked out of a school. Let's find you another one. Like, yeah, you're, you think differently. That's okay. Like, he had someone fighting in his corner the entire time, and now that he doesn't, he's trying to rectify how he understands the world, how the world understands him, and they butt heads quite significantly, but he's still trying to to find a compromise. I think Percy sees the way the world could be in spite of the way that it is. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's Hades Town, folks. <laughs> My other favorite thing. <laughs> My two favorite thing are things are Hades Town and Hades. <laughs> and I don't even love the Hades Persephone story that much. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. We're gonna get Hades and Persephone eventually in this show, though. Oh yeah. So we'll see how they do. Yeah, we'll see how they do. I'm actually very Um, excited for Hades. I really like Hades in this universe. (laughs) I think it's really interesting the way the Percy Jackson universe books and show talk about the gods in relationship to the demigods and the humans, Mm -hmm. the mortals, because, I mean, I, a lot of what I think about, you know, the existence of Greek mythology and the Greek gods is sort of the, the more human side of things where it's like, well, the the Greeks, the actual Greek historical people prayed and made sacrifices to the gods that felt relevant to them. Mm-hmm. If you were a farmer, you were going to pray to the gods that helped you become a more successful farmer. If you were a hunter, you were going to pray to the gods that made you a more successful hunter. You were going to pray to your local gods and your sort of family ancestors and your family gods and from a practical standpoint that that sort of had this cause and effect um, post hoc ergo propter hoc type situation where it's like, oh, I didn't pray hard enough to the gods. That's why we had a bad harvest this year. And I see how like Rick Riordan even sort of found this train of characterization where it's like, oh, the gods, the gods make you earn their respect because if you don't give them the right sacrifices, they're not going to support you. But I, I find it a little hard to to justify this with the world that we have set up with the demigods. It's like there's there's so one, there's like so many demigods, it feels a little a little tough to reconcile. Um and even then, I, I understand then like there's a lot of demigods. You're not gonna be able to pay attention to all of them at the same time. That also makes a lot of sense. So that's a counter argument to what I'm saying. <laughs> 
I guess what I'm trying to say is like why why do the why do Percy and Annabeth expect their their parents the gods to give them anything like the gods are all powerful you're not supposed to want anything from them see that's the thing though I guess I don't think Annabeth does expect like she's resigned to yes her mom gave her a hat and that's the only help she'll ever expect from her mother Percy is resentful for the lack of attention because Percy isn't in the thought process of the rest of the Greek world, the mythological yeah. world, where he doesn't, un- he thinks it's more Jesus like, I guess. <laughs> like, I think put- I talked myself into an answer a little bit in the sense that, like, that is the inherent drama of the Percy Jackson series is like, demigods are people. And as a person, like, your parent, like Percy says, is supposed to treat you a certain way. Just because they're a god doesn't mean that they get to treat you like you're nothing Mm -hmm. because you're not nothing even though you're immortal and they're immortal you're still their kid and that matters Mm -hmm. and that is very much something we see throughout the entire series of percy jackson all 15 books if you want to throw the trials of apollo in and i haven't read the newest one yet but i'm sure that (laughs) theme is in there as well like that is part of like Percy gets a big offer at the end of the books and like he declines it. And I think it proves the power of his understanding and getting the upbringing he got with Sally versus someone like Annabeth who had been wrapped up in the Greek world for much, much longer. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think the thing I'm reacting to is the like, oh, we got to like make sacrifices to our parents. Like, yeah, you make you make sacrifices to the gods. Like culturally, that's what you do. That's that's what everyone does in this culture. That's not a weird one. But I think if Percy grew up without. I mean, he made a joke about capital G God. He (laughs) knows a little bit about the Greek gods, but in like a weird academic sense. Like, none of it feels real to him. So for someone to, like, for him to imagine someone to put faith in something of a higher power, I think it's probably a little confusing to him, especially as a 12-year-old. The interesting thing about Greek mythology, and it pops up a little bit in, like, Old Testament Christianity, too, is, like, the gods are perfect. They are all-powerful. They are the masters of every domain. Yet they are also, they also have human characteristics in the sense that they have emotions. They are fickle. They are able to be deceived. They are fallible in these in these several ways. And th- the existence of Greek mythology, in terms of like the stories that we tell, is sort of um, an exploration of why why the world is the way that it is. Like mm-hmm. if things are supposed to be this way, yet they're not. If something is supposed to be perfect, yet it has flaws, then how how do we live in an imperfect world? Mm-hmm. I and and again, there's there's things in Christianity and in every culture that are about that. It's always so interesting in Greek mythology because 
you get the character. Like they have personalities, the yeah. gods. Yeah. So, and they're they're much more human than even the Roman versions of them. Like the Greek gods are raw in a way you don't see in Roman or Egyptian or I I, I mean Gilgamesh, well, I would say in in Egyptian mythology you do see Ra, but that's different. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Wait. That's like the second best joke I've ever made. The first best joke I ever made was I was bantering with some friends and someone said the phrase, you must be at least this tall to be discussed, as in to be talked about. But then I said, I don't know, Mindy Kaling was discussed, in which he's what, 5'2? And. That was an inside-out joke. Uh, and that was yeah. the best joke I ever told. <laughs> um, in the moment. Like, in the in, moment. Like, okay. in, like, moment tête-à-tête, rapport. Like, that was a good one. Okay. But the raw one, that was a good one, too. <laughs> and that one you recorded, so you've got it for posterity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It counts now. And I and then I told a, another story about how I was funny in an, another time in a totally unfunny way. So I've just really dug myself into a hole. But yeah, the gods, <laughs> sorry, you're, you're totally right that, the, that there's something primordial about the Greek gods. Like <laughs> they, are, they are somehow a glimpse into the soul of humanity in, in a very interesting way. In maybe like a Eurocentric white supremacist way. Absolutely. <laughs> but, yes. But still they have jealousy and rage and care and blind faith in each other in ways that feel more human than most of the other gods. And I think, I mean, there's been lots of studies on why Greek mythology has persisted, one of them being colonialism. But part of it, too, is this humanity. I mean, the, the I think... Percy repeatedly using the phrase or the the word humanity in reference to the gods is appropriate because they are incredibly human in ways they don't like to acknowledge. I think another interesting thing that I was thinking about is like demigods in other Greek mythology, people like Perseus or Achilles or... Heracles. Heracles or, you know, Jason or the other class. Jason might be all human. I don't remember. But the other demigods that we read about, they're not necessarily defined by who their parent is. Mostly because it's usually Zeus. <laughs> that man. And that's that's sort of like a catch-all. But the idea of, like, demigods having specific relationship with their parents... That's not something that's in, like, the original Greek myths. It's something new that Ricky Riordan added here, which, again, is what the story is about. So I'm not going to – I'm not giving it flack at all. It's just – it's just an interesting point of comparison. Like, if we want to compare it to the source material, there is no basis of comparison, really. Well, so it's funny that you say that because we do have godly offspring. We've already met one of them. We've met Dionysus. But he was later, he's later deified. Or you have Hermes. 
or Apollo and Artemis that they're they're chosen to be deified versus these other gods or these other demigods like Perseus and Jason who live out normal lives and someone like Achilles who kind of is deified in a way that isn't seen or, or is seen in in the gods as well it's it's this really interesting thing of who's considered a god who's not a god and is there power still for a hero that is not deified but is still remembered and held to such a high regard as a god like people are yeah, praying to point- jason just as much as they're praying to poseidon sometimes for safe travel even though jason is never deified yeah at what point does the legend of a person or a, a character become so important that it is equivalent to a religious figure is a question that people have been asking for thousands and thousands of years, obviously. And I think this show is getting to that, that what does <laughs> what does it mean to to be a hero and what do you need to prove to be so important and why are some beings just innately more important? And I think Echidna here raises an interesting point as well. Um, so we can skip ahead a little Oh, the, the the phrase that I was going to add on to your sort of semicolon list there was, is there value or meaning to be had in life when you know that what you do is essentially meaningless into in the comparison of the the threshold of the gods? How can your life matter as a mortal? I mean, I think Orpheus is a good example, like Orpheus as a story is a good example of that because he is a mortal in a very pure form of it, not in the way that Perseus or Theseus or... Wait, did you say a-mortal or immortal? A-mortal. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) the, the plot of the story. I think that was a good conversation. Yeah. Needed, needed to be had. Um, okay, so they're on the train. They have this whole conversation sort of in the dining car area. Percy is curious about like, but if I'm going to sa- fail to save what matters most in the end, does that mean we're just going to fail this quest? And what's the point? What's the point? And Annabeth clarifies, like, you don't know what part of the quest that the Oracle is talking about there. And honestly, previous part of the Oracle said, you're going to do the quest. You're like, you're going to be successful, but you're going to fail to save what matters most in the end. So I think reasonably the best way to interpret that is like, you're going to do what you set out to do, but something else bad is going to happen that is maybe in fact more important than this quest that you are currently on. And I think we, we know that that's borne out, but yes, but I think (laughs) as a 12 year old, Percy is hyper-focused on that negative element and is like, Oh, if I can solve the problem taking it like it's a school problem when it's life and that's the point of the fates and oracles is this is life and this is how it's presented to you and it's gonna feel impossible and confusing and the more you think about it the more your brain is gonna hurt so just yeah go through the motions it reminds me of that other classic movie the flash in which (laughs) Barry Gordon's mom tells him, 
Not every problem has a solution, honey. <laughs> There's a similar concept there. Trust me. Okay, I never saw The Flash because I... You don't have to. You I don't have, have to. no respect for that franchise. <laughs> There's also a small conversation in the middle there about the centaurs and about how Pan. man is encroaching on I nature and, and Pan, the, the guy with the flute, is, is gone. I love that we were just talking about that in the last episode. And one of the things I was saying was, oh, it was kind of a bummer not to explore Uncle Ferdinand and the searchers and Pan and like all of that other stuff. And then sure enough, first, it's almost like they heard me, but they finished this episode months ago. (laughs) No, they rewrote and reshot this whole episode in one week just for you. Thank you. And we just released it. Yeah. And we just released the episode yesterday. So they did it in a day, really. Thank you. <laughs> um, oh, we, we, we skipped the part in Annabeth's conversation with Percy where she says that everyone is like that. Everyone makes you earn their respect. And we got some backstory about Annabeth's childhood and why she ran away. A- again, something we were talking about in the last episode that I was like, oh, I hope they still play out this storyline of like Annabeth being deep down inside a hurt person that is looking for comfort just as everyone is. And we need to talk about Froofy. Froofy prep school? Yeah. Annabeth calls Perpies, Perpies, <laughs> Percy's, <laughs> Annabeth calls Percy's school a Froofy prep school. And then Grover goes, Froofy, what's Froofy? You're Froofy. Honestly, quality comeback there, Grover. Nice job. And that feels like something that was pulled directly from the book, but I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> it could have I don't remember that um, but okay now we're in the dining car Percy asked can I ask a dumb question and Annabeth makes fun of him a little bit I didn't feel like that dialogue really worked but okay it felt more like out of the book than some of the other stuff we've been getting recently um, but I liked the don't try to understand the oracle stuff yeah I think important. that's great it's an important lesson <laughs> that Percy needs to learn and I and I, I think, so, sorry, one of my personal, like, interactions with the world of religion and spirituality, and we mentioned it briefly in our topic, but talking about the gods just now, is like, don't try to understand the gods. And this is more like my love of the story of Job. <laughs> it's like, you, can't, you cannot perceive the level that they are at. It's ineffable. Whether that be the Greek gods, yeah, it's ineffable. Or the Christian god, like... Your mortal brain is not meant to understand. So don't. Don't try. Don't ask questions. Just accept it. I like that version of the story. I like that in this story, Percy is supposed to ask questions. But I also like other stories where the the thesis is don't. (laughs) I think, and it's interesting to the degree of questioning, that Percy can question his parent or the, the pantheon, but the fates and the oracle... Are completely different. They're they're a horse of a different color, if you will, and yeah. and they are and they're even, selling like hotcakes. Even the gods <laughs> don't question the fates. They fear the fates just as much as the heroes fear the fates. And the respect for the fates is unqualifiable. Yeah. So I I okay. think that that sentiment came across well because I think that's an important yes, part totally. of the universe. We got to get through this. 
Okay. Well, honestly, once Echidna shows up, I don't think there's much more to talk about. So um. yeah, that's where the book. So like we're all running. We're fine. There's a train. They're on a train to Los Angeles. They're heading. They're going by St. Louis soon. This is all book. It completely diverges from the book. Well, not completely. They're, the core elements are there. But how a lot of it plays out is very different. Okay. So they're on the train. This like cop guy comes over and be like, "Did you guys like blow up this this cabin in the train?" They're, they're like, like, "Let no, me see we your didn't tickets, please." Yeah, <laughs> and we get a great moment from Annabeth. <laughs> Are we under arrest? Hey, don't take that tone with me, little little girl. Are we under arrest? Great classic Annabeth. Wonderful, perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then they're sort of just confined into the, you know, the the dining car, dining car. with the, the cop watching them. And then this lady comes over and be like, I'm going to sit with these kids and pretend to be nice to them. I'm a mom, too. Yeah. These kids it's need a, a mom. I, I spent like three minutes trying to come up with an echidna Karen mushing portmanteau. Mm. But I, it, it's 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 a Karenda. Like what? I don't know. Karenda. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a little forced, but. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Echidna as like a 50 year old white woman who's going to assume that these kids need her help. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And Echidna, just to introduce her, she is played by Suzanne Cryer, who is in a bunch of TV shows. Her bigger one, one of her, one of her bigger ones is Silicon Valley. Okay. So. She's she's doing well at what she is what she, what she's doing here. Yeah. Here's my thing. I like I know Greek mythology as much as any person does. Not the most of any person. Hi. But more than most. <laughs> yes. Like mo- like most things in my life. I know more than the average person, but not enough to be an expert. Yeah. <laughs> uh Echidna's the mother of monsters. Why? I don't know yeah. anything about this yes. character. Yes. So Echidna. <laughs> is a child of Oranos and Gaia who is this snaky lady who has like the mean she's able to feed all of her children throughout her body so she's got like this is this is actually starting to ring a bell and I feel like they go more into it in the book yes so she bears all of these children. They usually produce from her, like from her skin. They'll come out form or partially formed and then they'll grow and, and she'll feed them to nurture and uh, they'll, they'll be raised into the many monsters. This universe plays with monsters in some very interesting ways because, yes, Echidna is the mother of monsters and like does bear them. But then there's also this reincarnation. They grow in Tartarus as well, and then they start leaving Tartarus after. Yeah, like, the idea that the the Minotaur is still around, even though the Minotaur was killed way back when. Yeah, monsters die and then they come back because there's there's always this idea needed. that the world the world contains monstrosity inherently. Yeah, and the the monsters are going to be around at some point. Yeah, so Echidna is like. Like an ancient god, basically. Yeah. Uh, in a way that, like, she helps set in motion other creation elements of the Greek mythology. 
she's she's like she's even like more a theoretical god because like no one yes no one prays to echidna no she's like oh where did all these monsters come from well <laughs> you know if there if there if there exists a watch then there exists a watch maker like mm-hmm. if there exists this monster then who is that monster's mommy <laughs> i have very distinct memories of this illustration of echidna in the delaries book of mythology yeah and there's this she's just got like all these little animals suckling off of or all these little monsters (laughs) suckling off of her so she's almost like like a pig but like but here in the show she has a little like dog carry case which is totally of the book this is accurate Oh, I like when Percy says to Annabeth and Grover, so we're just waiting to find out if this cop guy's a werewolf or something, right? <laughs> I was waiting for them to be like, there are no werewolves, Percy. Don't be silly. Because <laughs> werewolves are Norse and from like other parts of Europe. Yeah, English, Northern Europe, yeah. Uh, so that would have been a funny tie-in to Magnus Chase. <laughs> Um, but Echidna comes at them with this whole like sort of counter argument. Her point from her point of view, the Jedi are evil. <laughs> that was <laughs> what I was thinking the whole time she was talking. I was like, uh, like in my in my from my perspective, demigods are the real disruptors. They're the ones who, you know, kill my make children. all this change and kill her children. And I, I didn't really feel like the the show was giving like a convincing like moral argument of her side. Like, I if thought you they did much better at, with Medusa than they did yeah, with her. If you wanted to come at it with like a, well, every time there's a story about a demigod, they like totally throw the natural world out of order and bend the world to their will. And like the idea of like certain monsters existing sort of in nature, like um, I'm thinking more of like the Scylla and Charybdis mm-hmm. type monsters are like, these monsters are just out there. Yeah. You have to, humans as as a as a species need to know how to avoid these certain even the places sirens. and creatures and the sirens and stuff like that. It's like, these are things that just exist. And just because you're a special boy doesn't mean that you should be killing them and changing the way the world is. These monsters represent the way the world is. Yeah. But I get it. She's like a mom. She wants to make her baby hunt and it tracks them. It, it tracks their fear. Whatever. Yeah. So this is where (laughs) Chimera starts chasing them through the train. Yeah. It like stabs it first stabs Percy with a stinger, which is kind of our first clue that it's the Chimera. Because we don't really get a good look at it, but we see this tail scaly tail kind of thing. Um, And I do appreciate they make an allusion back to the book in that the mist hides the chimera as a little dog like a little yeah, pomeranian this is actually my favorite part of the episode was the um, little family we, we spend like 15 seconds with a family just in a part of in a cabin on the train they see a bunch of people running through the train and then they see a little puppy um i thought it was more like a bulldog i it looked more like a chihuahua it had like a chihuahua face but like pomeranian honestly fur. i barely got a good look at it so whatever and then they see just a, basically a little tiny dog walking through the train. I was like, that's a great joke. In fact, I wish we had more of this 
in the show. In fact, when they saw the centaurs earlier, I was hoping that they would show like a little glimpse of horses oh, yeah, and centaur or... and be like, oh, no, really look at them. Like, mm-hmm. there's more that you can do with that of showing the perspectives of the world. Yeah. That's that. That's the like Harry Potter magical stuff that like you need. But whatever. So. Percy, Annabeth and Grover have hit a point where they've evaded the police enough that they've gotten off the train and Annabeth is like, okay, we're actually being hunted now. We need to go somewhere safe. Fortunately, we're in St. Louis. There's a temple to my mom here. There's a temple hidden in the middle of St. Louis? Well, it's not exactly hidden. And then Annabeth... It's the St. Louis Arch. (laughs) Yeah, it's the St. Louis Arch. Annabeth starts spewing facts about the St. Louis Arch and how it's symmetrical and supports <laughs> itself and there's no internal structure. So, my here here I'm going to go off here. This is where I'm choosing to go off. Wait. Can I say one thing and then you go off? Sure. Um the actor who plays Annabeth I think is done a disservice by a lot of the clunky dialogue she's given. Yes. Okay, Absolutely. now you can go off. <laughs> All right. Going off. All right. So, how this scene works in the book is they have a layover, basically, in St. Louis. And Annabeth's like, oh, perfect. While we're here, I'm an architecture nerd, and I have been dying for my entire life to see the St. Louis Arch. It's, like, high on my list of places to go. It's like a hubris thing for her. Yeah. We've got a few hours before the train goes off to, to our next leg of the journey. Let's go say the St. Louis Arch. And they like sneak in with a class and they like get upstairs. And all the time they're like, hmm, something doesn't feel right. There's this looming figure, kind of like Electo in the gas station, to be fair, where it's this mm-hmm. like, okay, there's something, something's not a- entirely right here, but it's something not a- happening here. In the same way, like feats of architectural wonder are dedicated to Athena because of her wisdom and like her ties to Daedalus that it's attributed to Athena, but it's not a temple. It's not a sacred place. It's just a place that, that Annabeth as a nerd is very invested (laughs) in. She's interested in it because she thinks she's going to be the next great architect. She's going to be Daedalus. She has all of this innate ability and she wants to use it for good, so she wants to see the world, but she hasn't been able to because she's been stuck at camp. And this is where, like, her childlike selfishness comes out is like, oh, she's still just a 12-year-old that is really into buildings and, like, wants to have a good time. And they get up to go on the lift, and it's the last lift of the day, and there's one other lady in their tram with them, And it's this large lady with a little person, a little dog. And as they're going up the tram, she starts looking weird and something's starting to happen. And that's when they realize it's Echidna and the Chimera. I also realize for people that maybe don't know, the Chimera is a hybrid animal or a hybrid monster. Lion, Uh, goat, and snake. Lion, goat, and snake. Which the snake does not necessarily come out in this iteration. It often has wings as well. And the the stinger is not really. Yeah, that's even more like like the scorpion. Sometimes it's instead of a snake, it's a scorpion tail. And that makes sense. I liked 
we're skipping around a little bit. Yeah. I liked that this version of the Chimera didn't have like a separate goat head, which some illustrations have. Oh my it god, it's so good. I, I, I like that it was just a lion with goat horns. Like yes. that was cool. But anyway, anyway you were talking about I, the difference between the show and yes. the book, which is perfectly so, appropriate for us to talk about. If there are people who are still listening this long into it, thank this you. is what they want to hear. Yes, this is what they want to hear. And I'm going to continue. So they get to the top and they start realizing something is wrong. They make sure everyone else has escaped by pulling the fire alarm. So we're on track there with the fire alarm stuff of this final battle. But Percy gets Annabeth and Grover to leave in not such a like trickery kind of way. Like Percy handing over Riptide, who still doesn't have a name in the show yet, which just feels wrong at this point. But Percy's but, not totally invested in his like Poseidonness, so I can see he wouldn't give it like a a weird pun name like that. No, that's the translation of that. That's the sword's name in translation. <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, and Percy's fight is a little more heroic. He's not like he is kind of. I don't. I don't recall him being injured by a stinger in between. Like the scene, so he gets stung, and then they take him out to a fountain and splash him with water as he starts to get weaker and weaker. Great bit, love that. Super good. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember that happening in the book, but the fight is a lot more destructive. Like it is, like uncertain whether or not the arch is gonna st- continue standing after their battle. <laughs> like it's on fire. It's dangerous. He does win, though, and not just flee. And Echidna gets ticked. <laughs> yeah, he so he kills the Chimera in the book. From what I remember, yes. And if I'm wrong, I do apologize. I've read probably four dozen books in between this and that book in particular. <laughs> so, yeah, but... Percy's vict- Percy is more victorious and falls out as kind of a well, this is the this Man, is the I'm way I get now. out. <laughs> yeah, and him getting grabbed by the river is accurate. Take uh, me to the river. Drop me in the water. <laughs> so, Percy going to see the Nereid in Is it Nereid? 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 Nirad? It's like a dryad, but for water. It's yeah, Nirad. Nirad, I think it is. No, no, because no, it's got an R in it. Nyads and dryads are the, the, the tree. The closed caption said Nyad. It's it's Nereid, I'm pretty, I'm like. Nirad, something like that. Uh, I also N- just Nirad. discovered okay, the Chimera, one of their offspring. Do you want to guess their offspring? The harpies? I don't, what, I don't know. What? So the chimera bore the Nemean lion and the sphinx. Nice. I wish the chimera told riddles. Its its parent is Typhon in addition to Echidna, which... Like a whirlpool? <laughs> Typhon, like the titan. Okay. He's like the water one, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's the one that is built to oppose Poseidon. Okay. Sorry, I just discovered um, them. 
So, yeah. So there's some major, like, there's some inherently dif- big differences between these two that I don't know if it's for better or worse. It kind of decreases the action and makes this a, such a short episode. But also think- it doesn't drag out some of the stuff. So I don't, I don't know if. The one that you're definitely right about. I'm sorry if you didn't get to the end of the sentence. No, it's there. fine. Um, the one that you're definitely right about is it feels a little weird. Percy just sort of fleeing the chimera and like, like straight up losing this battle. It, especially if, if you if you had the impression that he was like victorious in some way mm-hmm. in the book, like he made a point of doing like achieving something. Even if he didn't totally win, he showed off some prowess. Which he here in the show, he does something noble by like saying, hey, I'm going to sacrifice myself to let Annabeth and Grover continue this mission because they're more likely to succeed than I am. I'm also dying from poison. <laughs> but um, the other thing, the other thing that I think you're right about is this, this changing of it being from Annabeth's sort of like desire to, you know, see this cool architectural thing. Like maybe the, the, the distinction between it being like literally a, like, a modern temple of Athena versus like a place where she can connect spiritually with her mother mm-hmm. in an intellectual way. Not like I get how they like clarify that a little bit. doesn't super matter. But what I do think you're right about is it removes agency from the characters. So when it's just like, Oh no, we're like a monster just shows up in the train. Mm-hmm. It's really an and then moment for the story. I know. I know we got the four, foreboding foreshadowing earlier about she's coming and I'm assuming that was talking about Echidna which was not foreshadowing that we needed really yeah it's more like a monster's attacking us so we ran away to the St. Louis Arch like that's a little clunky and I would have rather seen that the characters choose this destination and it be part of their characterization so I think you're totally right about that it's a little bit short of an episode. What we haven't mentioned just real quick here is when they're in the sort of the the entrance area, like the, the opening bit of the arch before they go up. When, when Annabeth's talking about buffalo. like all the great all the all yeah, all the great things that this re- represents for Athena, Grover brings his anti colonialist settle perspective here where it's like, well, it also stands for other things. And like, I, I get that it's a nature thing, but I really did feel like it was like uh, an anti-colonialist thing, like more of like, a hey, this rep- this arch represents something very different to a different group of people, not just because some animals died. Well, I think that's part of it. Like the colonialism element is a huge factor in the destruction of Pan. Yeah, because but seeing like the- land as property as opposed to land as part of their being the the manifest destiny like and like like native american genocide stuff like i felt like that was i mean the best way to wink at it if not like outright discuss it in the show for for grover to take that stance in that moment i appreciated and we missed uh we missed uh percy making a joke about athena saying be right down just go into the potty yeah which was a great accent. bit. Felt felt very much a, felt like a book very joke. Percy, yep. And I, then um, we, there was a moment where Annabeth got a great eyebrow raise 
like glare at glare squint at Percy being like, really, dude? Um, <laughs> when she, she goes, I know that you think my relationship with my mom is like this. And he goes, I never said that. And she goes, hmm? <laughs> yeah. which is just a, a, a good bit. So I we think, get a couple good Annabeth moments in I this think, episode. Yeah, I think there's some good interactions. There, Percy almost calls Annabeth his friend. And we're we're starting to see them become a team. Annabeth real acknowledges that she was wrong to snap at Grover, although she doesn't say that to Grover, so there's that issue, but <laughs> Um yeah, overall I my thought on this episode was the character stuff really good. The echidna and the chimera stuff did not care for. I thought the effect the chimera looked pretty cool. I liked the design. I wish there would have been like a more of a snake aspect to it. Mm -hmm. You only get a very brief glimpse of its tail. And I was like, I wanted to see like the whole chimera. Yeah. It breathes some fire, which is an unexpected but common chimera aspect of the monster. Yep. It just tears a giant hole at the bottom of the arch. Yeah. For Percy to jump out of. I remember there being beef about the book where like Rick Riordan implies that the windows in the St. Louis Arch are bigger than they actually are. Yeah, and maybe that's where I'm getting confused, too. And I've also been to the top of the St. Louis Arch, but I couldn't remember what it when? looked like. When did you go to St. Louis? I visited a friend. Okay. I have a friend oh, that's, like, yeah. Recently. I, I was like an adult. I was in like okay. college aged. Okay. Yeah, you didn't go with me. You've never been to St. Louis. <laughs> well, I don't. Well, I also didn't remember you going. So the episode but, ends. Yeah, the episode. Oh, sorry. Ends... Did you want to get to your to your no, thought? No. Or no. okay. Uh, the episode the, ends the episode... with Percy in the water again, learning how to breathe underwater, or learning that he can breathe underwater, which yeah, so, was uh, never a like a vortex. learning moment. It was more just <laughs> like a hey, I can do this. So a giant vortex pulls him into the water because when he jumps out of the arch, he's, the, the water's not directly below him. He sort of no. needs to, like, get grabbed. And then a Nyrad comes and says, like, just breathe. Your father's here for you. Your father supports you. Um, not in that accent, but I no. was just doing a voice, apparently. Um, it's so hard for your father not to be here with you. Um, and Percy just sort of has to take his work. Um, the the Nyrad's word for that. Which is something that's explored in the book of like Poseidon having affection for Percy in ways that aren't seen well upon by the other gods. But Percy earlier in in the episode said, I don't want anything from my father. He chose not to be in my life and I'm done with him. But he's given him the gift to breathe underwater. (laughs) And it was also implied earlier that Annabeth's mom, Athena, is like punishing her for her oh, impertinence. Yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, I did think that was dumb. Like, the monster can't get in here. Oh, no, the monster's in here because I was bad. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that. I was like, <laughs> nah, Athena thought I actually was kind of funny. And that's like some yeah. of the end stuff. And she's like, yeah, that was a pretty good move on Zeus there. <laughs> Yeah, unless the monster was just lying to her and the arch just wasn't a holy temple. Yeah, and like Echidna talking to her inside her head. I was like, mm, I don't like this. Little clunky, little yeah. clunky. Not the best episode overall. I don't know. No. Where do you like, do you have a ranking of episodes? No. I don't, definitely like, definitely not as good as the Medusa stuff of the last no. episode. Definitely not. No. So I think the first two episodes were kind of a set. 
Yeah. Makes sense. They were released together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We And we did one episode about them collectively. And it was the same length as this one. <laughs> Thanks. Look, <laughs> like I said, we've got baggage. <laughs> well, um, looking forward to the next episode. This is sort of a segment that we didn't necessarily do last time. We just sort of mentioned that we were going to St. Louis. But I just wanted to say, we get a little, like, next time on Percy Jackson staying at the end of the credits. And there's this whole bit where they're, like, in a water park, like, amusement park type setup, which I vaguely remember as being from the book. But I have no freaking idea what happens <laughs> in this gosh darn water park. I am glad they called the episode what they're calling it, uh, which is A God Buys Us Cheeseburgers. Because this this whole little bit's fun. I have a lot of fun in this bit. I'm I'm looking forward to it. And this is the stuff that the movie missed out on. That like that journey element. It was just so rushed to get to a fight scene at the end that wasn't really a big deal in the book. <laughs> that I'm glad we're we're taking our time and eating some cheeseburgers. And this is what TV shows can do because you have this sort of um killer versus filler if that's a phrase that i'm remembering mindset of like oh is this just an episode where they go to a water park and ooh, it's gonna be crazy because we need another episode in this show to get us to the end or is or is this something that people are going to be happy with like i'm so glad they did that because that was such a fun concept for us to see delivered on the screen yeah i'm hoping it's more that end okay this, uh this I think some of the interactions in this next bit are very important for the progression of the Master Bolt storyline. Totally. Which is something that we're not like really keeping up with. It's more like we got to go to the underworld, but yeah. Well, that's this... where the Master Bolt reportedly is. Yeah. Okay. Well, we need to wrap it up. Social yeah, media do. plugs. Instagram at amateur nerds. Tumblr at Wildcat Minute. Email amateurnerdspresent at gmail.com. Yeah, what's your favorite god? Tell us. Just, just which one's the best? Don't worry about what the other ones will think. Just tell us which one's the best. Just tell us what you think. <laughs> I'm Condra. And I'm Tyler. We'll see you next time to find out what happens at Waterworld. Although, um, what's the actor's name in Waterworld? Kevin Costner. Although Kevin Costner won't be there. That was Bruce Maybe we'll Willis. get a cameo. <laughs> you can bet on it. No. <laughs> That's not what we say. Goodbye. <laughs>